Good morning, church. Look around. If there's somebody you usually see here that's not here, they are the people with the boats. And if we want their boats, we got to wait for them to come back. We got to ask them for the boats for Labor Day weekend. Uh, my name is Devin Maddox. I'm not the pastor here. I'm life group leader, life group coach. We lead a group in Bent Creek, right there behind Martin's Barbecue. Uh, my wife, Karen, and I have three boys, Duke, Shepherd, and Wolf, and I have a little baby uh, mustache that I've had for about two years. Um, I'm still raising to maturity. Uh, if you hang around the church in Nolensville, you, you will hear more than one voice preach uh, at the church, and it's not just for practical reasons. It also is because of convictions that we have as a church. We believe that the most important voice we can hear is the voice of Jesus Christ speaking through the Bible. We believe that the most important sermon is not the sermon that happens here in the pulpit, but the sermon that is happening there in your seat. Um, The conversation, the inner dialogue that is happening between you and the text of Scripture, as you think about the Scripture being explained and as you make the decisions that make up your life, that is the most important sermon, the one where you hear from Jesus. Jesus' words are the ones that will have lasting impact, not mine. Jesus' words can change us where we need to change. Jesus' words have life. Christ is speaking to us through his words. Question is, are we listening? Let's pray together. Lord, help us hear you through your word this morning. Pray that your voice would be loud, your voice would be clear. Lord, that you'd give us the words of eternal life. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, grab your Bible and turn to 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1, you'll notice a lot of folks at our church bring print Bibles uh, with them when they come. Uh, The reason for that is because we come ready to work in the text of Scripture. And so um, go ahead and turn there. But if you didn't, we're going to read the text out loud, the passage. 1 John 1, verse 1 through 4. This is John, the friend of Jesus, an apostle, uh, who was inspired by the Holy Spirit to write this. He says, What was from the beginning... What we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have observed and touched with our hands concerning the word of life, that life was revealed and we have seen it and we testify and declare to you the eternal life that was with the Father and revealed to us. What we have seen and heard, we also declare to you so that you may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. First John raises an important question. What is eternal life? According to verse 2, what is eternal life that was with the Father? In verse 3, sharing an eternal life with the Father and the Son, Jesus Christ is what will, in verse 4, make the apostles' joy complete. So to understand what will give the apostles and give us and God complete joy, we need to know what is eternal life. And I have a definition. Eternal life is being with God. 
By eternal life, we do not mean only in the future. By eternal life, it's not what happens to you when you die. Eternal life is not up there in heaven. Eternal means the past, the present, and the future of your place in God's story. Eternal life is being with God. This definition matters because some of us Christians and some of us who have heard about Christianity think that the Christian gospel is only about what happens to you when you die. The perception is is that we reduce the gospel to a transaction, to a prayer that we pray once and then forget about. That the gospel is just a heavenly insurance policy, something that we will use eventually. But the Bible is teaching us that the most important thing about anything is the story that the apostles had heard and the story that the apostles saw and declared to us. So if you're taking notes, um, here's our outline for studying this passage. I'm just taking the words right from 1 John. um, Three parts. um, What we heard, we saw, we declare. You know, every family has family legends, These stories that we tell over and over again, stories that we rehearse. You probably have stories like that in your family. Uh, In my family, there's a story that was meant to embarrass me about the time when I was eight years old and blew off Johnny Cash at his house. Uh, I grew up in Nashville, unlike most of you. Um, My dad was an attorney in the music business. My mom made cakes, birthday cakes and wedding cakes for country music stars. And me, my musical interests were on a really important music scene, Um, you know, like the the band at Chuck E. Cheese. And so I'm told, kind of what I remember is that we were dropping off a cake at Johnny Cash's house. It was a wedding cake. It was in the dead of summer. And my version of the story is, what I remember, is that mom and dad were just doing that thing that grown-ups do, which is talk to some old guy. And this old man was in between me and getting to that unhygienic ball pit that I wanted to get to so badly. Um, I would have rather been with the animal robot band at Chuck E. Cheese than with the musical legend who wrote Ring of Fire. And so I whined and I complained from the back of our Astro van until finally uh, mom and dad uh, moved on. But they, te- they tell this story, and, and I have to admit, as they would tell this story when I was like 9, 10, 11 years old, it was like, I don't get why this is a big deal. You know, this is just some old guy. And it wasn't really until 2003, honestly, when I turned on the news and saw Johnny Cash had died and the entire world was mourning his death. And I realized this guy's a pretty big deal, apparently. And they explained all of his musical accomplishments and then I saw what they were talking about. It's kind of like Johnny Cash saying in his song, The Baron, I wish I had known you when you were a little younger. Around me, you might have learned a thing or two. The apostles were no different than we are. From the very beginning of their lives, their family rehearsed stories. What their parents heard from their parents. What their rabbis taught their rabbis, who heard from rabbis that read the scriptures, who heard from their parents, who heard from Moses. 
the author of the book of Genesis. And this is where we start in verse 1 in 1 John, where we finish our series uh, that we've been, where we've been studying uh, 1 John in reverse. What had the apostles heard? John writes in verse 1, What was from the beginning we have heard? Put simply, the family story that the people of God rehearse over and over again, what John had heard is the gospel story. And the story doesn't begin with Christians getting saved and going to heaven. John would have heard the first two acts in the gospel story, creation and fall. So let's begin with creation. In the book of Genesis, John would have heard that God designed the stars. Genesis 1 verse 3. God designed water. Genesis 1 verse 6. God designed earth. Genesis 1 9. God designed people. Genesis 1 27. Men and women and fathers and mothers and marriage and little boys and little girls. God designed family. That's going to be our our next series here at the church. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 8, God designed and planted a garden, which was God's place with his people. Most importantly, John and the apostles heard that God created all of creation and that it was very good. John even wrote about this uh, in, in the Gospel of John, another book of the Bible that John wrote. In John 1, verse 1, he writes, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through him, and apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. Creation is the first movement of the gospel story, the first act. God created everything, and it was very, very good. There was no trouble. There was no separation between man, woman, and God. There was no anxiety. There was no sexual immorality or sexual abuse. There were no mass murders. There was no corruption or greed or jealousy. This was the kingdom of God on earth, God's people in God's place with him forever. But you and I both know what comes Next, the second act, the second movement of the gospel story is what we refer to as the fall. After God created man and woman, John heard that God walked with his people in the garden, but he also heard that there was a liar in the garden too. Have you ever told a child, hey, don't eat that? Don't put that in your mouth, you'll be sorry. The thing is about liars is that they they sort of tell the truth. They just twist it ever so slightly. There is pleasure and there is power in this fruit. The lie the serpent told was that the pleasure and the power the first man and the first woman would get. The lie was that this fruit was better than life with God, than being with God in God's place. God warned his people not to take the pleasure and the power for themselves in the fruit, in the garden that he planted for them. But the serpent whispered, did God really say? There's no more dangerous words than those words. And by the way, isn't it the case that we still hear that lie in our hearts? 
even now? Did God really say, let not your hearts be troubled? Did God really say, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you? Did God really say, be anxious about nothing? Did God really say, flee from sexual immorality? Did God really say everyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart? Did God really say, keep your life from the love of money and be content with what you have? Did God really say, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You see, thing is, humanity with humanity is God, God created us and we're still being lied to. We are still, and all of creation is still under the curse of this liar. And we still think the pleasure and the power of sin are better than life with God. In his commentary on the book of Genesis, the German theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer writes, Did God really say that is an utterly godless question? When Adam and Eve took the fruit of the tree when they chose the pleasure and the power of the fruit of the tree. What God warned would happen came to pass. God's people could no longer be in God's presence. God's people could no longer be in God's place. Eternal life was compromised. As soon as Adam and Eve wandered east of Eden out of the garden, God planted for them, brother murdered brother. Family destroyed family. Humanity became so wicked that God started over with a flood. Humanity became so powerful and so wicked that God started over at the Tower of Babel. Humanity became so horrible that all the prophets and all the priests and all the kings and kingdoms of history of the Bible could not restore what was lost in the garden to make matters seemingly more hopeless at the end of all this history in the Bible that John would have heard, God was silent for 200 years. And then John and his brother James were born. And can you imagine, think about it, from John's perspective, after, after 200 years of silence, where was the hope coming from? How likely would it seem to you in your lifetime that anything different would happen than what had happened in those previous years? But John would have heard about one more thing. God made a promise in the garden too. And that's when John saw something. So look at verse 2 in 1 John. He says, what we have seen With our eyes, not just what he had heard, but what he had seen, what we have observed and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. What did the apostles see? What did they observe? What did they touch? Like I said, God made a promise in the garden. This is the third act in the gospel story it's redemption. The promise was all about what happened between the serpent and the woman. Genesis 3, verse 13. God said there would be hostility between the liar's offspring and the woman's. And God promised that eventually, after generations of war, the woman's offspring would crush the head of the serpent once and for all. What the apostles saw and what they observed and what they touched was a man named Jesus. He is the fulfillment of that promise. 
Sure, we know Jesus was born in a manger in the nativity scene, and we know that he was called Messiah, but I think we don't get that after 200 years of silence in the gospel story, how unbelievable this was. Do we understand how hopeless the world was before Jesus? Do we understand how much we needed the Messiah? How far we had wandered from eternal life with God in the garden? And do we understand how scandalous this story is? The Pharisees wanted to kill Jesus because Jesus claimed to be God. And not only that, Jesus claimed that he was the one that God promised in Genesis 3 that would crush the head of the serpent's offspring. Jesus claimed that he would bring eternal life, being with God, back to God's creation. Jesus claimed that he would succeed where every prophet, priest, king, and kingdom of the Bible had failed. Jesus claimed that by living a perfect life, by never falling for the lie, did God really say but not taking the pleasure and the power offered to him in his temptation. Go to Matthew chapter 4 and read it for yourself. That he could atone for all of us who have been at, the, been at war with the serpent since the beginning of the world and failing over and over and over again. Jesus, who claimed to be God, also claimed that by submitting himself to an unjust death on the Roman execution cross, that the broken relationship between God's people and God would be restored back to the way it was at the beginning. And Jesus claimed that when he died, when his enemies destroyed his body, that he would rebuild it in three days and come again. And that's exactly what the apostles saw. And that's exactly what they observed and what they touched. This is the redemption of all creation. In John's Gospel, chapter 20, he writes this. When it was evening, on that first day of the week, the disciples were gathered together with the doors locked because they feared, you can relate to that, they feared the Jews. Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And having said this, he showed them his hands and his side. So the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And after saying this, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. John didn't just hear about the gospel. He saw him. He observed him. And in closing, this is what we declare what the apostles and what the church at Nolansville declares. Look at verse 3 there in your Bible. What we have seen and heard, we also declare to you. We declare that for us to have eternal life with the Father, not just after we die, heaven and hell, but that we have complete joy right now. We have to rec reckon with the gospel story. We have to make up our minds in our seats today. What do you make of all this? The author C.S. Lewis put it like this. He said, once you've heard the gospel story, there is no more chance at being neutral about what you've heard. The gospel and the Bible makes Jesus either a really well-behaved lunatic, a really badly behaved liar, or Jesus is who he said he is. Jesus is Lord. 
lunatic, liar, or Lord. But once you've heard what the apostles heard, once you've seen what the apostles saw, once it has been declared to you, you are on the hook. There is no more going back. There is no more neutral. And there are people here today that they feel like John, like God has been silent in their hearts for 200 years. When I first met Johnny Cash, I didn't get what the big deal was. I didn't know what Johnny Cash had accomplished in his life. But once we know what Jesus Christ has done, how could we ever look at him the same way? Christ is speaking through his word this morning. Question is, are we listening? Let's pray. Lord, help us hear you through your words. I pray for Christians who've grown bored with rehearsing our family story of the gospel. Restore the complete joy of the gospel and eternal life with you right now. Lord, I pray for the spiritually searching and the lost in this place. God, give them the courage to take the first step to follow Jesus is Lord. Give them the courage to have one conversation with somebody, one conversation with a pastor about what it means to be a Christian, answer their questions. Give them the courage to pursue Jesus in baptism. But most of all, God, release us from the lie that we have to wait to begin our life with you. The complete joy is out of reach. Lord, we We want eternal life with you. Thank you for Jesus, your son. Amen.